Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast that does what it says. I take a scintillating person out to a cracking restaurant for lunch. We order all the good stuff and I get them to talk. Because frankly, I've never had better conversations than over a restaurant table. Something about a good feed really helps people to open up. This time, my companion is the former Bake Off winner, broadcaster, TV cook and all-round national treasure... It's Nadia Hussein. Yeah, she, so she stands there with her hands just dangling. All the weight is in her hands. And her hair's all in her face. And she's like, I wish you never won Bake Off. <laughs> How creepy is that? With my guest, Nadia Hussein, obviously we had to find somewhere that uh, was halal. I thought there were various ways we could have done that. We could have gone vegan or whatever. And I thought, no, let's go for somewhere that is literally halal. So we've come to Whitechapel in London's East End and Tayabs. It's been here for over 40 years. Among a certain sort of belly-obsessed Londoner, it's a bit of a cult. It really is a brilliant Pakistani grill house. I dream of their lamb chops. And Nadia's never been here. And I'm delighted to be the person who brings her here for the very first time. Come on inside. Oh, hello. You made it. Yes, we're waiting outside. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Now, welcome to Tyabs. You've not been here before, have I you? I have never been here. Okay, so, I mean, my thinking was... Your family is uh, Bengali. Yes. This is Pakistani. Okay. But I think you'll find certain familiar things knocking around on the menu. Okay. Before we order, I have to ask you a question. I read that you have a way of pimping pot noodles. <laughs> Is this true? My husband has a way of pimping pot noodles. He loves a pot noodle. I, I, I like a pot noodle too. I mm. don't mind. The reason why we started eating pot noodles was because after I had... You don't my, need an excuse. No, I know. So but everyone, like, you hear lots of stories about pot noodles at university or when you're living away from home. So mine was after having a baby. And my husband doesn't cook. I had a pot noodle every day for dinner for about four weeks because the poor man can't cook but he wanted to look after his wife and so he would make these pot noodles and I said look if you're going to make it you know you could do stuff to it yeah. so I le left him and I said do stuff there's stuff in the fridge you know see what you can do to it so now when he pimps his pot noodle and this is the only way we'll eat it now is we'll sit in the kitchen like right what we're we doing to this thing so we add chili flakes we add coriander some spring onions and really jazz it up some cumin seeds get them in there what is the base one underneath I mean what does it have to be oh chicken and mushroom chicken and mushroom is, yeah. chi is chicken and mushroom do you think basically the vanilla ice cream of pot noodles yeah for sure that's the base flavour like Bombay bad boy is already quite well flavoured yeah but that's yeah. somebody else's you know version of yeah. well flavoured isn't it and then they took the salt out and I was like no 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 put the salt back please I like the salt there was a low sugar low salt one which yeah. I'm not impressed with. let's be absolutely clear if you're hitting the pot noodles you're not doing it for your health no no you definitely <laughs> not definitely not I, I certainly wasn't the new book Time to Eat there it is yeah picked up a certain a bit of flack because you were talking about canned foods and all yeah. that sort of stuff yeah. That was you basically saying, we don't all go and get roast swan, wasn't it? Exactly. Is that illegal? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, you wouldn't... Well, I don't know. If, if you were the queen... Aren't they the queen's swans? Could she eat them? She could. She probably could. They are I, hers. I suspect she'd be put off by the Daily Mail coverage that she might get if Perhaps. she did. Yeah. In the, in the book, I'm very open about 
cooking with tinned vegetables. So tinned potatoes, I use tinned mushrooms, tinned sweet corn, and and I just don't think there's anything wrong with it because it's the way I cook. If it's not going to poison me and kill me, I'll cook with it and I'll try it and I'll give it a go because there was a time in my life where when I first got married and, and we had kids, you know, budget, we were tight and we struggled. We had loans to pay off. We had a mortgage. We had two very small children. There were days when I would miss a meal because it would easier. It was easier in the, on the food shop if I just didn't eat that day. So it wasn't always easy. And so I had to weigh up, right? Do I go buy the potatoes? Look at the gas meter as the numbers go down. And do I boil those potatoes and give my kids the potatoes? Or is it easier just to buy a can of potatoes? And that's where I first discovered canned potatoes. But that's the only way we move, we were able to move forward in our lives is to be able to save and make sure that we're being right. really careful. Well, no, so we're not on a budget. So we're at uh, <laughs> Tyab's today. Uh, there's a menu. One of the things for Tyab's is it's quick. So what I'm suggesting we do is we're going to order in waves rather okay. than order right, right at the start. Okay. Which is one way to slow them down. Uh, famed for its lamb chops, it's tandoori lamb chops. Do you do lamb chops? I do love lamb chops. Oh, they're, they're, oh they're, they, they also do a dry meat curry. Oh, that sounds good. I like a dry meat curry. I mean, I've got some suggestions. As you want to have a look and see if there's anything particular that you would love. For me, what's really interesting is whenever I go to a restaurant, yeah. my husband has this rule. So whenever we go to a restaurant, like an Indian slash Pakistani Bangladeshi... Remind me of your husband's name, so we... Abdal. Right. Um, so, so we when, can call him Abdal now. Yeah, we can call him Abdal. So Abdal, whenever we go to a restaurant, he always says the measure of a good restaurant is if they can cook the prawns really well. Because they are far... Prawns are fast. Now, coming from a Bangladeshi family, seafood is a big thing in our... So, because in Bangladeshi cooking, it's all about the fish and the fruit. Right. And one of the interesting things about this is that this is Pakistani, so yeah. it's, it's sort of northern Punjab. Yeah. Which means it's very meaty yes. and not very fishy. Exactly. If I go There's prawns here, look. The King Prawn Grill. Yeah. Well, should we put some of those in the starter? Yes. Ah, uh, here comes Shaheem. And if I got some pakoras as well. That's a good idea. Anything deep fried is usually great. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, if you fire up the deep fat fryer and obviously we've got some papa, some papa thumbs. Should we find out what the samosas are like? Go on then. Meat or veg? Oh, meat. Two meat samosas. Two meat samosas. Do we get any chutneys with these? Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. And then... You're, so, the you're, so, you're so good. I, when I'm at a restaurant, like if they don't give me the chutney and I know they're supposed to, I won't ask. Are you not? No, I'll just sit there quietly in the hope they'll give it to me. And if they don't, I'll just be really polite. You won't I just ask. wouldn't say anything. I'd just sit there and, and just eat them dry. Really? It's really bad. I it's need, terrible. I need to grow some guts and say it. I don't. I never say it. I'm really bad. And my husband always says, why don't you say anything? I just don't want to offend anyone. And yet you've ended up in public life. Yeah. Where there's always someone, whatever you do, Someone's whatever you say, them. somebody is going to be offended. Always offended. Do you want a pop Yeah, I think so. Go for it. Oh, I love Papa Doms. Do you? Do you know my dad used to own restaurants? I do. Yeah. This reminds me so much of my dad's restaurants. Like, no. This is slightly modern in that it's got benches and it's got like these modern walls, but like just this setup, this chopped up salad, the chutneys and the Papa Doms, it's exact. I mean, even the trays are simple. I mean, the trays that don't fit the Papa Doms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, just like, yeah. So do you want the chilli one? Oh, I'm going to try the spicy one first. Okay. I really like the just plain, very plain one. Yeah, so do I. Oh. Mmm. Mm. So these are slightly spiced ones, aren't they? Yeah, they're yummy. There's a bit of green chilli, I think, in there. But you tell me. Put some pepper in there, black mm. pepper. So crisp. What people often don't understand is that I think it's something like 90% of the high street Indian restaurants in the UK were actually run by Bengali families. Yep. And your dad was part of that? My dad was part of that. And my bugbear with him was always... The food that he cooked was delicious. It was really nice. But it was never as tasty as the stuff that my mum did. And the stuff that my mum did, it was simple, but just delicious. Like Just as an example is the korma. Dad cooked a korma and it had... It was filled with cashews and lots of cream. And it was almost flavourless. It was tasty, but it, it satisfied the Western palate for those who well, don't... Well, that's the question. Was he was he doctoring what he was serving because he thought his punters didn't want a full-on thing that you'd yeah. get at home? And he had one thing of the 600 things on the menu. The what He had one that he named after an Indian actor. It was called the Chicken Chakrabati, <laughs> which was... 
a really delicious chicken curry cooked the way my mum would cook it. People, once they tasted it, that's the one that would say, we want that one. And they would eat that and it was really popular. And I said, doesn't that say something to you, Dad? You're missing a trick here. Maybe condense it down to, let, you know, like not 600 things on one menu. Less confusing for people. Why don't you do some of the stuff that mum cooks? Because some of the stuff she cooks is just so simple but so delicious. And he said, no, the world's not ready for it. <laughs> no, he said, no, I'm not ready to change it. The world's not ready for it. And then when I wrote my first cookbook, I put mum's chicken korma in the cookbook. And he just said, mm-mm, they're not going to like that. And that was probably one of the most popular recipes. Like, everyone that has ever made that korma has said that is an incredible... I didn't know a korma was supposed to taste like so that. So what's the key to that korma? So simple. Garlic, ginger, onions. Like, really kind of finely... A, a paste, practically. Yeah, practically a paste. Cooked down with lots of clarified butter and whole spices. So cinnamon, bay leaves and cardamom. And that's it. To do that, did you have to go to your mum and say, can you write me down the recipe? Because no. she doubtless have never written a recipe. Never. She doesn't write recipes down. So I watched her. I watched her for years and I watched her cook it. So I knew the basics of what I was doing. But it's little things that you don't, until you make that recipe, like you fry the onions without letting them colour. So they get that, that right. really kind of beige colour on the onions without it going dark brown. When you were growing up, there's another story that, you know, Bengali food does not use a lot of baking or roasting. No, not at all. So the oven was used to store things in. It was in my house. My mum would... When we had an oven in our house, she just said, it comes with the cooker. So, (laughs) you know those kind of standalone with the grill? I remember. I, I have one. Yeah. So she said, oh, it comes with the cooker. And so she would put her frying pans in there. So she'd have, like, a stack of frying pans. And then we always had a cast iron dish that she would do all her deep frying in deep fat frying and it tasted better and num- like she would do samosas over the months and that oil it just tasted better in that oil because she would be deep frying something every few days and it would just taste better and better. So it became an aromatic oil it because just, it was full of roasted spices from everything that had been fried in it for days. It was just delicious and I just said to my mum you could sell that you know that's a really nice, it's so bright red by the time she's finished deep frying things in it and she'd keep all of that in her oven and it's only when I went to school I realised that you could turn that oven on like you could heat that oven up you could up. actually turn the oven on because Delia's oven was not the kind that my mum had her oven was the one that was fancy and set inside the wall uh, and at eye level as well and at eye level whereas Delia didn't have a standalone no, you know no, come no, on no. fitted come on a fitted fit. darling <laughs> fitted not a standalone to me I didn't make the connection that what Delia had in her kitchen was the same as what we had in ours. To me, they were two different things. And then it was only when I went to school and they had the standalones and she turns this oven on. And I said, Mrs. Marshall, have you gone mad? What are you doing? And she said, that's the oven. I said, no, it's not. That's the cupboard you store things in. That's where you put your frying pans. She goes, don't be silly. Puts this cake in, out comes this cake. And that for me was that moment. It was magical. I'll never forget that. You know, that magic of baking that you see as a child... I saw that at 12. Do you now have a standalone <laughs> cooker or do you have an ov- a fitted oven? I do have a fitted oven do now. You? I do, yes. Do you get your mum around to look at it? <laughs> she doesn't use it. She doesn't care. <laughs> no, I also have an induction hob, which is so unimpressed by. I'm a bit suspicious of them as well. I don't know how I feel about them. I have had one for two years now, but... Because you can't make a good chapati on an on a, on a induction hob because you need the flame. You need to be able to throw your chapati on the flame so you get it puffed up and, yeah. and light. So I now have a gas hob outside in my garage. <laughs> so I couldn't do it. I said, I can live without a gas hob. I can, I really can. I, I chose an induction hob because it's easier to clean. It is. And it's safe for the kids. Problem is now, when, I, when they go to my mum's house, they're like, Mum, how do you turn this thing on? They don't know how to do a gas hob now. I'm like, oh, no. We've got things coming through Ooh, food. every time you hear the door open it's because i always like to explain these things the oral um, landscape yeah there's a it's a friday at, at tyabs and it's a big restaurant and it's busy it is look at those perfectly triangular samosas are yours not perfectly triangular they aren't yeah I'm, I'm, well, of course I'm, I'm, my mum would be angry if i said they weren't but yes we, we are you have to know how to do, make a samosa what's the secret to a good samosa um buy the pastry <laughs> Uh, the, the one thing I have to admit is I'm picking this up and thinking, do I now have to eat this with a knife or fork? Can I eat this with How would you eat it? I'd eat it with my hand. I've got, I would never use a knife or fork, no. Right. Not ever. Let's see what you think of it. So, I always go point first. 
Uh, ha. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> uh-huh. 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 <laughs> you have a whole section of really good sounds. Yeah, thank you. Food sounds. That's it. You take the point off and then you pick your dip of choice and you stick it into the point. Okay. And that's how I eat it. You know, last year for Eid, we have a challenge every year how many samosas we can eat. Last year, the year before, I ate 86 samosas in 12 hours. 86? Mm-hmm. Now, to be clear, were these the, the, the kind of slightly small? Mm-mm. They're like this. 86. I'm not even kidding. Not I don't right. even know where I put them. But I was like, I'm going to do it, 86. And this year, I tried to do more. I wanted to get to 87 because I... It's w- always good to have goals. Though. Yeah, exactly. I'm winning at life. And I only got to 54. Oh, dear. Never mind. Maybe You've next changed. year. I know. Maybe next year. <laughs> what do you think of these? The sauces are really good. I like the yogurt one, the yogurt yeah. mint one, but the chili one is always quite interesting. Complicated childhood. Quite mm. a lot of siblings. Mm-hmm. A couple with ill health health issues. Yep. I'm one of six. And my mum, bless her, I don't know how she did it, physically or mentally, but she had a child every year for about six years. So there was only a gap of one and a half years between me and my brother and then another one and a half. So she basically had five kids in about seven years. That's going it. Yeah, something. that is, that is. Was there some extended family, aunts, uncles, her, her siblings to Ooh, help? We had loads of relatives. Um, and that's what I think, I think back then it was easier to have more children because there is that support. You do have, you have support from family members. Um, and, you know, we had the extended family. So my mum, you know, my my uncles, their wives. My grandma definitely played the biggest role in, in raising us alongside our parents because... When my mum was off to hospital, off at hospital, sometimes she'd have two kids in two parts of the country in two separate hospitals, so she can't split herself two ways. So mum would be in one, dad would be in the other, then he'd go to work and then he'd come back and then they'd kind of split their time between two hospitals and there we were, the rest of us, in between. You had a place at university, didn't you? I did. What were you going to read? I was going to do psychology. Okay. Uh, just because it was a subject that I was interested in. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it, but I wanted to do psychology. Um, my parents were so distressed at the thought of me going to university, they just said, you can't go. I, I, not to criticise, but, you know, because there are different cultures within different communities. Was it a classic, our girls don't go to university, that's what the boys do? Or was in it... our family, yeah. nobody had been to university. So they were really afraid of the fact that I was going to university. They were scared that... I was going out into this big wide world and it would corrupt me and they were worried about that. And at the time, as an 18 year old, I didn't see that. At the time, I was really annoyed with them. I wasn't angry. I kind of knew it was coming because you know I've grown up in a community where the men do things differently to the women. So I wasn't surprised, never. I was never surprised once. I knew it was coming. I just thought I'd get away with it, but I didn't. And Did you argue much? For, for about a week, there was a lot of Please let me go. No, you can't. And it was it wasn't easy. And in the end, I just they just said you can't go. It's it's simple. So I just I just gave up. I just gave up and I said that's fine. And that's when I got a I got a job and I carried on. I finished college, got a job, and just kind of like head down, just just continued working because I I kind of didn't have any focus after that because I really wanted to go to university. But now having actually explored my parents' immigration story and how they got here and and the challenges that they faced, I don't hold that against them. Yes, you know, I wish they'd been braver. I wish they'd been braver just to allow me to see the world. But they were in a country that wasn't theirs and they were scared. Oh, things are fizzing. Oh, I like the sizzly sound. You wanted prawns? You got prawns? Thank you. Um, (laughs) They're whoppers. They are whoppers. They're huge. They're massive. Oh, just the way I like my prawns. This smells good. Mmm. 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 So if your other half was here, would he approve? He'd enjoy them. They're big, meaty, but I'm going to say prawns. These are... These are like big tiger prawns, aren't they? They're not bigger. Which have been butterflied out slightly and they've been roasted in the tandoor. Really? Quite meaty. Very meaty, almost monkfish-like. Yeah, I'm thinking that. Had you gone to university... Yeah. ..and followed that very... You, I think you know where I'm about to go with Yeah, this, I think I do. ..and followed the professional route that that could have led to, mm-hmm. perhaps you wouldn't have had the need to go on Bake Off to do something for you. 
And if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be sitting here and none of this would have happened. Every, everything I've ever done leads to this moment right here. Just being sat here with you because my sister hates the fact that I'm sat here with you and she's not here. She said, if there's anything in the world, she said, if, if anyone, you want to get insulted, you want to get insulted. I'm not going to insult I know you're not. I'm not I said, you, know, you might be nice to me, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it may not have led me to this situation right here. I do often step back and think, oh, do you know what? If I did go to university, I wouldn't be where I am. If I went to university, I probably wouldn't have met my husband. I probably would not have married him. I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm a firm believer in things happen for a reason. And my mum always says that. She goes, see, I didn't let you go to university. That's why you are where you are. And it's like... And she takes credit mm, for yeah. it. <laughs> Typical mother. She's like, yeah, you are where you are because of me. I will always have that regret that I didn't go because I missed out on something that all young people should experience, which is a bit of freedom and a bit of independence. And I missed out on that. I came to your book launch. Yes, the first one. The first one. Kind of, I was just curious. I wanted to meet you. Well, my, I remember you coming to the book launch and my husband meeting you. And obviously, I don't... Because I think... Unfortunately for you, everyone just thinks you're just there to be mean to people. <laughs> just, honestly, What's your sister? What's your sister's name? Sadia. I love her. And she thinks you're the best. She goes, I love him. She goes, I don't care what anyone says. I love him. <laughs> I don't care him. what anyone says. I love him. She loves you and she's Does very she? jealous that I'm here. Okay, well, if you if you could go back and tell Sadia that he's actually quite nice. Yeah, just lie, even if you don't think I'm that. No, no, no lying here. Right. But I remember when my husband met you. And for me, that moment when you walked through... I just said, oh my goodness, that is Jay Rayner. That is Jay Rayner through the door. Like, whoever invited him, I'm support. I Because I put you on a list of people that I wanted to come. And I said, he's never going to come. And they said, he'll come. And I said, he'll never come. I put you on the list. And there are lots of people I put on the list that didn't come. Yeah. But you came. And I said to him, oh my goodness. I said to Abdal, oh my good Lord, that is Jay Rayner. <laughs> and he just walked through the door. I don't know what to say. And he said, oh, well, I'll go talk to him. And so he went up and I was like, oh, he goes, I'll warm him up. I'll go and I'll just say, he'll be fine. So he walked up and he was like, I can, I can handle this. And then he came back halfway and he said, oh, I don't think I can. I'm really nervous. Because <laughs> this is like our first ever experience doing anything like this. And you are someone on the television. You are Jay Rayner off the telly. <laughs> so yeah, well... But not quite anymore. I think you've got an awful lot more TV than I have. No, but you, um, you were, and I think that for me... And he just said, you know, he actually came to your book launch. That's a big deal for you. And I said, yeah, it is, but that was a very surreal moment for me. Hi there, I'm Ollie. I'm the executive producer on Out to Lunch. And this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Imagine you had the time it takes to have lunch... Gifted to you each day, an extra hour. What would you do with that time? For me personally, after listening to Out to Lunch in a swanky new restaurant, I'd love to spend more time actually sampling the food there myself. Now, a lot of us wish we had more time. But in reality, if something is really important, then we make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. It can help you clear your head and take control of your life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Plus, it's entirely online to save those precious minutes. With over a 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash outtolunch. That's betterhelp.com slash outtolunch. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Uh, your marriage to Abdul was arranged. Yeah. That's, a lot of people outside of your culture will find that, still find that odd. Did you find it odd at the time? Were you very accepting of that? Anything outside of my own community, yeah. I think it was arranged marriages were a bit odd because yeah. I think people, when they hear arranged, they hear forced and they're two very different things. Sure. Thank you. They're two very, very different things and I think you mustn't mistake the two. What arranged is arranged 
and you get to pick them apart till you find the best person and it doesn't always work out and forced is a very different thing um so you know in my family so if you if you had met each other and actually just didn't like each other at all that marriage wouldn't have happened yeah it would have been absolutely fine but it turns out that um so because in my family not everyone's had an arranged marriages you know everyone's gone out and found their own husbands mm. and wives and that's absolutely fine and that's kind of that's normal i mean it is in the western world it is in the world that we live in not necessarily in my parents community they always arrange that's also people assume that the, all the women in your family cover their head and yeah. they don't do they no they well, not not everyone my immediate like my sisters do mm. but all in different stages of their lives and it, and it was it, a personal decision rather than something you were told to do oh, I, it was my parents are not religious yeah. they're not they're not religious at all so i wouldn't say that i come from a religious family we were born and raised muslims but i wouldn't say that we're from a religious family um and i chose to wear my headscarf at the age of 13 and i don't know if that was if i look back on it now and the decisions i made i don't know if it was religious yeah. or if it was me saying i want to stand out do you think because i think it was rebellious because my mum wasn't religious so when i wore my headscarf she was like why are you doing that why are you showing me up why are you wearing did she she was really upset about it. I had family members who would mock me and pull it off. And to me at the time, I did do it for religious reasons, but I think there was partly part of me I think there was a little bit of me that wanted to stand out a little bit because nobody else was doing it. So how else do you stand out? I remember you when you were on Bake Off and actually your headscarves tended to be simple black ones. Yeah. Now, you're sitting there wearing a glorious orange. I like the crispy bits by the way. Uh, well, you the know, pakora. You know the bits that fall off. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, they're the best bits. Well, that's, that's what the whole point of pakora is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I have this thing with my headscarves mm. is that all oh, these are good pakoras. You can tell some big man with big hands just went blonk and stuck them straight in the deep fat fryer. And didn't care that there might be splashback from the from the oil. Mm. Delicious. Um so when I was on bake off, there's this thing that I do with my headscarves is that If I'm feeling really anxious, I wear a black headscarf. Oh. Yeah. Like your own personal head. Like like a yeah, like a mood ring but on your head. <laughs> so, honestly, that's what it was. And so when I would wear my black headscarf, my yeah. husband would know that she's probably not having a very good day because there's no thought in wearing a black headscarf. You just just wear it and there's there's nothing about a black you wear, headscarf. You wore a black headscarf for the final. I did, yeah. Oh my goodness! If it, if there was a shade darker, I would have worn that. Honestly, it was so stressful that final. There was one week in between somewhere where I wore a green headscarf, and everybody's like, "Oh, you're wearing a green." So I started to feel a little bit more confident in myself. But I was back to the black the next week because I'd had a massive panic attack in between, and back to the black. And this Christmas, my brother got married, and I lost my black headscarf, the only one that I've owned. You've only ever had one. I always ever wear the I've got two but I kind of you get used to wearing one. You know like your favorite jumper, your yeah. favorite pair of shoes. I was wearing that all the time. Um I was even washing it and staying at home so it dries so I could wear it again. So I only had one. My husband was like, "Why don't you just go get another one?" <laughs> I was like, mm. "So I lost that headscarf at Christmas and I was frantically looking for it. And my husband just said, "Whoa, what's going on with you?" I go, "I can't find my black headscarf. I need to find my black." Was your mood getting darker at the time it while was... you're looking for the black headscarf? It... So now it's not kind of you can go, "Ah, oh, get orange." No, it really really was. And she said, "What is it with you and your black headscarf? I get it, but you've lost it. We'll just get you another one." And I was like, "No, you know, I need to have my headscarf. That's my headscarf. Could not find it. I don't know what happened, but somehow the universe decided I didn't need that black headscarf anymore." Have you not found it? I haven't bought one either. I haven't replaced it. So I think I think we I can say that just for you. Nadia Begum is is in a good place mm-hmm. because the black headscarf has gone. Yeah. I've just replaced it with a brown one, you see. <laughs> well, you know, what for a slightly gloomy day. Yeah. Yeah, just for a slightly gloomy day. All right. Um and you say that you didn't really fall in love until after your second child. Yeah, not properly. No, I mean I think I liked him. <laughs> well, that's always good. Isn't yeah, it's good. He's a very lovely man, yeah. I have to say. I think father he's fantastic. Your, father of your child, you know, of your children. He's a he was a nice guy and I I cared about him so much, but I really wanted that moment where I really like I felt like I really loved him and I couldn't live without him because within the first two years, I think when you've had children, you see your own ch- you know, you see your husband's face in your children and I had love for him but I wanted to be deeply in love with him and that's definitely come that's something that comes through time in any relationship whether you got married first mm-hmm. 
or in between or years later, wherever you get married, that depth of your love, it just changes um, as you get older and through time. And I think in the first two years, I mean, like, give or take, I was like, yeah, can I live? I used to ask myself, can I live without him? I'm like, yeah, be fine. <laughs> I did, honestly. Did you really? Yeah, I said, can I live without him? And I'm like, yeah. We're gonna, I'm going to order some main courses in yes. a minute. Okay. This is going to go on and on, you know. I hope you're not playing dinner. Mm-hmm. Not today. <laughs> Those crispy bits. They are good, aren't they? Mm. Do you want the other king prawn? You can have that. No, no. That wasn't what I was just making sure that you're aware it's there and it's yours. Yeah, I'm you holding myself it. for the lamb chops. Who are you? I am. Okay, go on. Okay. <laughs> you know you want to. All right, I love it. Do you trust me? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have to have lamb chops. Lamb chops. Yeah. Because that's what they're famous for, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. And the dry meat, the small dish. And the takadal is apparently really good today. Anything else you particularly want to try? No. Okay. Bread rather than rice? What do you prefer? Bread. Let's do bread. I grew up on rice. I I can do without. Okay. A couple of naan. Knowing what the rest of it's like, they'll probably do us. Yeah, that's fine. No, that's fine. And naan bread, which flavour is tandoori naan or garlic naan? Ooh. Just... Plain naan. Yeah. Yeah, plain. Do they still do peshwari naan then? They do a peshwari naan. I just got a little wink from the waiter. Because he knows I'm Bengali. And he's Bengali as well. And he knows that we live on rice. And he was like, shall I just get you some rice? (laughs) Go on then. Get us some rice. Get us some rice. rice. Uh, I make one plain naan and one peshwari. One plain naan, one peshwari. I'll share. See, it's it's clearly in the blood, because that's why my mum's like, if whatever we eat, no matter what we eat, if you don't eat rice, she says you've not eaten properly. Go and eat rice. Really? Is that right? Yep. That's how it is. That's how it is. Everybody's like, you know, this is our... Part of thing, you know? Yeah. Thank you. You know, this like we're missing something. <laughs> well, we don't want to miss anything. No. It's worth talking about Abdul in the sense that he is again not a lot of the coverage around you and the way you present the Muslim community to a country which is perhaps not known as much as it should. Assumptions are made, particularly about what a Muslim man from a traditional family would be like. And he's not like that, is he? All those assumptions, those stereotypes. Yeah, I mean, he gets a lot of abuse on social media. Well, you both do, and it's obscene. Yeah, but, I mean, I feel sorry for him because he didn't sign up for this, but he kind of also did because he did do the application form. So I was like, in your face. Yeah, he literally signed up. He (laughs) literally signed up to be abused. Um, But I said, this is your fault, you know that. Um, But he gets a lot of abuse from people saying that you know, making comments about him not being man enough and allowing his wife to go out to work. And, I mean, what are we in? What era are we in? Now, interestingly, is that from within the Muslim community? It's from within the Muslim community. That's from within, yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, from within. Because I suppose in... And in, I suppose in all cultures, men are seen as the breadwinners. The You know, they're the ones that bring the bacon home, I suppose. And... It doesn't work. The world doesn't work like that. It just isn't like that anymore. Women work, men work, and it's a it's a it's a partnership and it's a combination. Well, they even have their own bottles. They do. I want my own mineral water. Me too. That's the next job. Is it? It's not. Come on, not. you could do that. You've nah. just put out a brand of cookware. I have. You know, I don't think there's any reason why they couldn't be natural water. <laughs> I've been designing them for about a year and a half now. And when I design the plates, I want them to be really, really big because in Bangladeshi cuisine, when you sit down and eat, you get a big pile of rice. And then you take one curry at a time and you eat through one curry and then the next and then the next. And I know that everybody eats like that, but I designed a really big plate. Is it a really big plate? It's I mean, how many inches across is this big it's plate? It's pretty big. It's pretty big. It's bigger than that. It's a couple of inches across that. Right, so this plate, I'd say, is about 10 inches. So yeah, it's probably about 12 inches. I'd say probably about 12 inches. But it's quite. it's got a little lip on the side, so it's quite deep. So you can... Because we eat with our hands as well. I remember taking the plate to my mum and saying, Mum, look at this plate. She goes, that's the perfect plate for rice. I was like, <laughs> I know, yes. So you- Abdul applies to Bake Off. Yeah. You must have had no idea at all of what you were letting yourself... I mean, you watched it. No, never. Not for a second, did I think. Was there at all any pressure from you not to do it, or were they all behind you all the way? Well, they didn't know till about week seven. I didn't tell them till about week... Because I didn't want them to... I didn't want them to know, because I was finally doing something for me, and um, I've spent so much of my childhood being told, you're a girl, you can't do this, you shouldn't be doing that, you should... I didn't tell anyone, because... 
I know the instant reaction from everyone would be, what, you're leaving your children and your husband to go on panny about on this cookery show? What's going on? You know, I, I knew that that's what I would get straight away. So I decided that I wasn't going to tell anyone. So I didn't tell my parents till about week eight. And bearing in mind my parents don't watch Bake Off, they didn't understand what it was that I was doing. Have they not spotted that every weekend you seem not to be available? Yes. Well, <laughs> my mum said, have I done... But week eight, she said, have I done something wrong? Because you don't come to my house anymore. And I said, no, no, no I'm so sorry. I, I've just... I've been really busy and I hadn't been... I mean, I, I normally go and see her every three or four weeks down in Luton, but you don't even have a job or anything. <laughs> what are you busy with? Like, on a weekend, what are you busy with? So she really missed me. Shoe pastry. Yeah. I'm busy with shoe pastry. And oven's blowing up in my face. The moment you win, yeah. you were on breakfast television pretty much the next day, weren't you? Yeah, it was the next day. And there you were, um, and all the questions start yeah. um, about who you are and... Yeah. Um, uh, immediately, it's almost been immediately that you have to be the spokesperson, not just for yourself, but for a whole community. Yeah, that was... I wasn't ready for that. That's the bit I wasn't ready for because I knew it was coming because the moment my name was announced that I was a contestant on Bake Off, one of the very first articles was about how I was the only one who didn't have a job. So it said housewife underneath and it said, well, she must be on benefits. (laughs) That was one of the first articles that were out and that really knocked me for sick. So I think part of me was expecting um, those kind of comments to come up. And I, and I was a housewife, and I was maintained to this very day that it was the best job I've ever, ever done. Mm. Um, it's the most rewarding, least paid, but the most rewarding. Mm. And it just, I would never have it any other way. But at the time, that cut like a knife, because for somebody who'd worked really hard up until the point I got married, I stopped working just to raise my children because I couldn't afford to pay childcare, so I had to stay at home with my kids. And I never felt the need to justify my decisions, but suddenly you're put in a position where you have to justify your decisions and your choices, and that was really hard to deal with because here I am, Muslim woman, it's like, how does it feel? I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know. What am I doing? I've not done anything. For me, I was just a really anxious person suffering badly with panic disorder who just wanted to do something for herself. One of the things that happened early on, and in a way it's the subject of the book you've written, Finding My Voice, there was one particular guy who said you'd done, actually it sums it all up, the phrasing, that I, I knew what he was getting at, that you'd done more for British Muslim yeah. relations than uh, 10 years of government policy. Well, you are British, so it's a bit strange. But I think what he was saying was Muslim, non-Muslim relations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever see that as part of your role? Or is that something that was placed upon your shoulders? When I heard those comments, I couldn't quite believe that that was true. If we'd spoken about this four years ago, I would have said to you, no, you know what, I just want to have this career. I want to do what I love for as long as it'll last. I want to cook stuff, I want to enjoy food, I want to write cookbooks. But now, four years on, I understand the importance of doing what I do. Because growing up, I couldn't pick up a novel and relate to a character. I couldn't turn on the television and see a character just like me on the television or relate to any characters on TV or even in even on just like on the news. Now, I understand the importance of doing what I do because every time I meet people or do a book signing, the one thing I always get is thank you so much for doing what you're doing because my girls will watch you and you are you are an inspiration. And that is just Why would I do anything else? And now a word from our sponsor, which in this case is me. I've got a new book out. It's called My Last Supper, One Meal, A Lifetime in the Making, in which I attempt to answer the one question I've been asked most often, what would my last meal on earth be? I go out in search of the ingredients. It does include pig. And I tell the stories behind them. It's available now in hardback, ebook, and audio formats. And I'm also on tour with a live show based on the book. For tickets and info, visit jrayner.co.uk. And now back to Out to Lunch. Can you hear the lamb chops arriving? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness, that's so loud. It's quite the sizzle. Yeah, we can hear them. The smell, though, if they could smell them. I know, it's that kind of that smoke. They're so buttery. Look at that, man. And the other thing you can really smell is the onions that are sort of caramelising on the bottom. They're the best bits, definitely. Oh, they are the best mm. bits. They absolutely are. Um, oh, there's more coming. So now, 
dry meat curry. Yeah, this is taco. Oh, that's the taco dal. And then some rice because you're a good Bengali girl. Because I'm a good Bengali girl. <laughs> Thank you. So these lamb chops are, you know, the stuff of many a blog post. Let's put it that way. Are they really? Oh yeah. Let's hang on for one second while they get theirs. Yeah. They're well fed. Well, they get a bit tetchy if they're yeah. not. Yeah, incredibly high maintenance. Ooh, they are good. Aren't they? Fingers in, I like that. Oh, no, I had to pick it up. Yeah, you've got to pick that up. And I can't something... actually believe I ate the first, first bit of the knife and fork. I know, I know. I was being very British then. Did I'll you pick see? It up. I was like, we'll pick it up. I have to tell you, the target dial is something. Is it but... really good? Yeah. Oh, I could see you did stop for a second, and I, I just thought, should I just stop and eat? <laughs> is it good? It's all very, very good. I'm going to serve you while you talk. Oh, okay. I, uh, I'm not used to that. Nobody ever serves me. Really? Yeah, no. Is that just bad manners on my part? I just need you no. to try this so I can take some more. The best lentils I've ever eaten were in Nepal. Okay, so we're up against the Nepalese lentils. Well, it's a big, it's a it's tough competition. Oh, no, that is good. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Oh, give me the rice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. Get all oh, that rice looks good, too. Oh, wow. It's got a real kick on it on the back of it, hasn't it? But the lentils are so soft. Yeah. Some people can't get that. Like that's really hard to get those lentils really, really soft. Oh, that feels like some. That feels like someone's mum made that. That's what it tastes like. I'm, I'm going to tell you, probably it, it was someone Wasim's mum at some point. These lentils are going to taste really good cold out the fridge next day. Are they? Yeah. That's the kind of lentil it is. It's that good. What makes for a good lentil that's good out the fridge the next day? Is it just they've got a bit of bite? No. You know what? The lentils have been cooked, so they're not, they're really nice and soft, but they're not shy with the oil. <laughs> You've got to add loads of oil to get it to, like the onions are softened and sweet and oil. You mustn't be scared of oil. I think when you're cooking lentils, you've got to go for the clarified butter, the oil. Don't be afraid of it. I'm kind of almost tempted to take some home for my husband. Oh, I'm sure they do that. Yeah. You Ooh. know, you seem to have... And, and brilliantly, I have to say, taken, uh, taken on a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it is. But with it, you know, it, it's, it's not been easy. It's been really, really tough. And sometimes, you know, there are moments where I just, um, you know, we've had some really horrible emails, death threats, really mean things come through. And, um, and that's, not, that's not been fun because that, those are the points where I question why I've done this. Otherwise... I don't normally question it, but there are moments like that when we get emails of people threatening me, my family, my husband. I just think, what have I done? Why have I put myself through this? But equally, they make me stronger because I love what I do and I am lucky for what I do and I enjoy it. And like my husband says, I'm good at what I do and I want to do this for as long as possible, not just because I love my career, but also because... It's about creating space. It's about saying, I'm not here to take anyone's job. I'm here to create space. I'm here to say that if an average Joe like me can do a job like this, then why can't everybody else? So it's about, we have a... I would actually have an answer for that, though, which is that you are remarkably good at being yourself on camera. It's a very difficult thing. It is. And, and for someone who has said they've suffered from... Yeah. talked about suffering from anxiety and panic attacks particularly thinking back to the um, series you did when you went back to Bangladesh. Yeah. And you were extremely emotionally open for some of the things you came across and saw. Yeah. You've probably cried more on camera than most people. Yeah, that. probably. <laughs> but you can ask my husband. I'm yeah. like the... Abdul's always says, he goes, oh, my goodness, you're such a crybaby. Stop crying. Do you like a good cry? Oh, it always feels good when you have a good cry. Don't you? Do you feel... Do you, I, oh, listen, I'm a... Are you a crier? I'm not much. <laughs> I mean, Give it a go. Really? Yeah, it feels really good. You feel really light. Sometimes, you know, I have... So I cry. I do I do tears of happiness. So I do tears of joy. And my husband always laughs. And he goes, you're the only person in the world I know who cries because they're happy. It's I'm going in for the lentils. Go for, go, for, go for the lentils. I prefer to talk more than I do eat. So I don't uh, mind. Really? You eat. It's well, fine. that's brilliant. That's, uh, that's perfect for this podcast. I, I'll throw out a question. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll just do the and, rest. Uh, and you just... Um, I suppose the question is, how much am I willing to allow people into my life and into my head? Because when I cry and I, when I talk about my emotions and when I talk about my stories, 
that's me allowing people in. Is that how you feel about it now? I mean, you went through a lot of therapy on camera yeah. for the BBC thing. Is anxiety now something you have made an accommodation with? That you live alongside? I think I've always thought that. I'm always. I never. I never imagined that I'd be without it. I think it's. I think it's something that I know will always be with me. And when I did have therapy, the doctor I was speaking with, he said, "I can cure you." You know, that's quite bold. I was like, "No, oh, it's quite yeah, bold." Yeah, it's quite bold. I was like, "Has he?" And I did question him. I did. I haven't gone back. I haven't gone back, and I should have finished. Oh, my... I see. He said, "If you keep going with the course of yeah. cognitive behavioural therapy, I can cure you." Yeah, and and I was and I questioned him. I didn't give him an easy ride. I didn't just allow him to say that he was going to cure me. I said, "Well, you know, there's lots of people out there who say that you can't cure something like anxiety," and he was adamant that he can. Um, and I, I'll find out when I finish the therapy. But now, but you haven't yet. I'm going to ask a very controversial question. Go on. Is that because you haven't had enough time or because you don't know who you'll be without it? Ooh, bit of both. Definitely a bit of both, because that's the question I've asked myself, is that if I don't have my anxiety, which is something I've had since I was six or seven, who am I? Like, what's my identity if I don't have it? Because with it, I am that person who goes up and down and, and dips and, and has highs. And if I don't have that, who am I? I do struggle, but... That's why it was really important for me to write the book because I think from a very young age it's really good to explain anxiety to children, especially with my own children. I've always explained anxiety and um, what it's like to, to suffer with it. And what about being out on the street and being recognised? That's not always that easy. So my boys absolutely hate going out with me now. Oh, do they? Yeah. No, that's not nice. No, it's not. So they just say, Mummy, it's, can we just go out and go really... Like, they want to do things really quick. Even here in Whitechapel... As I was driving, I saw a couple of eyes flick and turn, and I came in, and there were a couple of guys just outside, and I'd come inside. So that, that you never really get used to that. And what really surprises me is that, although I'm not used to it, what really surprised me, I've been in situations where my, you know, at my sister's best friend's funeral, I had somebody ask me for a selfie. Oh! I'm just saying it. Oh, that's... Can you believe that? Yeah, I can, unfortunately, but it's yeah. still appalling, isn't it? Where's the weirdest place you've been asked for a selfie? Come on. Your rhino. No! Yeah. After you were done? No! Oh. I was still peeing. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, you're eating. That's okay. <laughs> that's why I can handle that. That's not okay. It's not okay, no, is it? No, not on any planet. I turned to this guy and said, I'm busy! <laughs> <laughs> As you can see... It's weird, isn't it? It's a little bit weird, and I get it, and I understand, but also equally I don't understand. So sometimes it's not that easy, and my little girl still says, I wish you'd never won bacon. <gasps> mm. That's hard. That hurts a little bit. Yeah. But saying that, she's fickle. because <laughs> So she does this creepy thing. So she's got long, wavy hair, and she always wears night dresses, and she, there's a little shadow she creates and she comes to my door and there's a little nightlight in the passage, which I'm going to get rid of that nightlight because it's the creepiest thing in the world. <laughs> there's this little blue nightlight. She just stands there. You imagine a little eight-year-old girl. This is the thing out of horror movies. Yeah, no, poltergeist, yeah, some so kind of... She stands there. Yeah, yeah. She, she stands there with her hands just dangling. All the weight is in her hands. And her hair's all in her face. And she's like, I wish you'd never won, baby. <laughs> How creepy is that? And I, I honestly, I want to not tell her off. Then I get up and I'm like, don't do that. That's really creepy. Um, so I just send her off to bed. She said, if you didn't get that job interview, then you'd never do this job. So she thinks that Bake Off was a job interview and Paul and Mary gave me a job. I'm sitting here thinking... Imagine as a four-year-old. As a four-year-old, you can see where that's come from. She's the only person in the world who doesn't like Mary Berry. Like, seriously. (laughs) Only human in the entire world who dislikes Mary Berry. Lassie. Oh. Would you like some mango lassie? Oh, yes, please. We're definitely up for some mango lassie. Definitely. It's a beautiful colour. It is. Thank you very much indeed, Chicken. Oh, wow. That's nice. Isn't it? Yeah. Mango, sugar, yoghurt. Yes, milk, Blitzed. yoghurt, blitz. How many cookbooks have you done there? In total, this would be number seven. You've done seven? I've done three kids' cookbooks and four adult cookbooks, but I hate calling them adult cookbooks because they then sound like something mm. else. Let's not call them that. 
Do you send your recipes out into the world to be tested by other people or do you do all your own testing? I test all my recipes at home myself in my own kitchen, which is wreaks havoc on my house because it goes between, Mummy, what are we having you for dinner? To, Mummy, can I eat this or have you taken a photograph yet? <laughs> so, poor things, once I'd made this cake and I hadn't photographed it, I had to go off to the doctor's surgery, come back, it's gone. Oh. The whole thing's polished off. Luckily, I wrote the recipe down, but I didn't have, I didn't have the pictures, uh, which what I do is when I test a recipe, I write it all down on paper, and then I type it all up, write my introduction up, and then at the end, once I've tested the recipe and I'm happy with the recipe and the images, I, I photo, very bad photographs, kind of like photograph the images, different mm. stages of how they're supposed to... Do so how you're supposed to do certain things because sometimes the way I write it doesn't always interpret that well so I've got to make sure everyone understands exactly what I'm doing and so I'll put the images at the bottom of the of the of the sheet and send them off I mean I'm really lucky in that I have the opportunity if I want to to say you know my yeah I get asked look you don't have to test them we can test them for you just write the recipes down for us and we can have them tested but I refuse to let any recipes leave my kitchen without them being tested at home first now talking of dessert you've had mango lassi there is a big stand full of sweets out there yeah but we've had quite a lot haven't we I'm so full (laughs) I'm so so full but it's so delicious it is almost like it's a hybrid between feeling like you're at home and also at a restaurant I'm I'm really really pleased because tires means quite a lot to me and quite a lot of people in London Mm. and bringing you here is kind of I love it. You've also brought something else, haven't you? I've got you a little present. Have you? Yeah. You're the first person who's brought me a present. Really? You know, on this podcast, yeah. What is Hopefully it? not the last. Um, um, you, and you don't have to give me the basket bag. That's for you two. Is it? Yes. Can I open it? There's of a bow. You can. There's a little this bow. This is gorgeous. This is just... I can't come and visit people. I think it's partly ingrained by my dad. Oh, my God. So, tell me... These are all recipes from the book. So, I've made you some scones and with a smoked salmon sort of paste that you could normally get out of a jar, but I've made the for you. And all of these recipes are in the, in the cookbook. So, there's a pruny granola. And this is all from Time to Eat. It's all from Time to Eat. Parmesan scones. Yep. Scones. Yeah. Scones. Scones. With a salmon paste. Pruny granola bake. Yeah, that's that one underneath. They're just there oh, for, bre- for breakfast. Asian aubergine. Yeah. That must be that one with the chilli. Yep. And what's, what's in there? And those are coconut burfi balls. So the little sweets that you see outside of the restaurant there, I've made them myself, just made them a bit more easy for people to make. And I hope you enjoy them. because oh, I can't. fabulous. Oh, you're, I'm, I'm glad you like it. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. You can keep the Tupperware too. Can I? Yeah. No, we always have need for those. Because, you know, <laughs> my, my youngest has uh, pet lunches at school. There you go. That's fantastic. And a copy of the book. You're going to have to sign that. Okay. Well, Nadia, thank you thank for you. letting me take you out to lunch. It's been amazing. <laughs> Can we do this again? Yeah, yes. let's do it again. Let's keep doing it. I'll take you somewhere. All right, you're on. Okay. Definitely. Thank <laughs> you. I really hope you enjoyed that because I did. And if you want more, you can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And we would really appreciate it if you would give us a nice fat five-star review, share, recommend, tell your friends, listen to all of them. It just makes us love ourselves and helps other people to find it. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The assistant producer was Jemima Rathbone. The sound engineer was Josh Gibbs. The producer is Selena Reem and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, it's PowerPoint King and comedian Dave Gorman. Cheers. Light, elegant, <laughs> solid structure. It's the Dave Gorman of wines. <laughs> I would have said it was the Dave Gorman of wines, whatever he'd said, you know. That. Of course, <laughs> robust and fruity. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, Dave yeah, Gorman yeah, of wines. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah.